BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right. First episode in a couple days here. I've had a light schedule due to the holidays, but we got a ton of news to, to catch up on here. And then we're also going to do our power forward rankings. This is another really interesting one in terms of deciding exactly who is a power forward, as well as trying to rank these guys. Always fun episodes. We've already done the small forwards and the shooting guards. Of course, we're sponsored today by Draft. Use the promo code CAPSPACE on your first deposit and you can play a real money game for free with the Draft at or at Draft dot com let's get that promo code cat space okay while we get started here with some news danny what do you think is uh the biggest thing that's happened here <laughs> since we have like this four page long list of stuff we have to do so just yeah you know well, pick I, one out immediately well i i think we can start with just the massive amount of point guard injuries i mean there have been a, okay. a whole a whole rash of them i mean the what the one that looked the worst at the time was jeff teague there was a, a strange late fourth quarter jump ball which meant every Everybody was going after it aggressively, and he went down with a knee injury. There was concern that there might have been structural damage. Fortunately, they got about as good news as you could get. It was a, a grade one, a grade one sprain of his MCL. He'll be out. I believe I saw two to four weeks. And so, yeah. you know, that that is obviously unfortunate. And Minnesota is grappling for playoff position, but it is an opportunity to get some quality time with Tyus Jones, who I thought I watched a little bit of their game against Milwaukee, the part of the game when they were playing well, as opposed to when they lost the lead and he looked pretty good so that'll be important for them in the near term and of course in the long term yeah and the question as it so often is in these circumstances will be what happens with the backup to the backup Aaron Brooks had an illness he only played four minutes the other night there's been talk that Jimmy Butler you know because he needs even more of a burden can just play some backup point guard Jamal Crawford not really a backup point guard at this point in his career but he could maybe bring the ball up floor but certainly their perimeter depth will be tested here with this team absence in other news Damian Lillard about a week ago had suffered a hamstring injury uh didn't play over last weekend talk was he would return Thursday and by that point by Wednesday he wasn't even on the injury report then all of a sudden he became questionable on Thursday he warmed up did not play in their nice comeback win against Philly so his status remains up in the air for these next couple of games the hamstring certainly could be tricky and and that timeline don't know this for sure but uh in the absence of transparency you might think hey maybe Maybe he actually like tweaked it a little bit again and that was why you know he returned to the injury report Thursday but for Portland they're lucky that their main competition is for the playoffs are not exactly running and hiding but there it is basically right now a nine team race for eight slots and so with New Orleans Utah and that mix they have their own injury concerns of course and Portland seems like really those are the three that are going to be pushing for those very last two spots uh they can't afford to lose any ground there yeah and another team that can't afford to lose ground is Miami. Goran Dragic is now back. He missed three games due to an elbow issue, and then he's played the last two. But what's concerning there is he said that he might have elbow pain for another month. So basically, he's playing through this, and Miami has a lot of good guards, but they do not have other guards that can do what Goran Dragic, like his role within the offense. And so how he looks in this time where he's, you know, not 100%, but still playing through it is going to be important because Miami needs all of the offense they can get to survive this even though their defense has been good yeah and also in Miami Dion Waiters now could be looking at a multi-week absence due to his troublesome ankle uh, 
per Tom D'Angelo, the Heat's beat writer, you recall that he was talking about having off-season ankle surgery, and that apparently, the first time I'd heard this, had he had that surgery, could have been as much as eight to ten months of rehab. So he uh, decided to forego that surgery, understandably, in the off-season, and he got that nice contract. But I guess the hope is that with this, he can kind of try to get it right, do some rehab and rest, and then be available for their stretch run. But with the way he was playing and how good Josh Richardson and Wayne Ellington have been for them, you know, it, it, I don't think this really affects them that much. It's just, you know, they also have these other injuries with Winslow and magruder out too so but in the starting lineup i think you know richardson and ellington have been better than waiters but they really need to find someone else who, who can get to the basket just a little bit but waiters hadn't really been that guy this season either yeah that's, that's a good point and the lakers have really been missing lonzo ball he has a shoulder sprain in his left side he actually played through the injury in their game uh, a week ago saturday but then he's they ruled him out for a week and then they're going to reevaluate it and they have had had trouble getting their offense going they have other guards Again, it's another team that has other guards, but they don't have anybody who does what Lonzo can do. And along those similar lines, though they got a nice win against Cleveland, De'Aaron Fox has been out. He has a partial tear in his quad muscle and his right right leg, and he was going to be reevaluated in two weeks, but that's about a week ago, so we can assume he'll be out about another week. Yeah, getting back to the Eastern Conference, uh, Victor Oladipo. Man, these notes are so long. I gotta like control F for the guy's names. Uh, he was ruled out before their game on Wednesday, and he will miss tonight's game against Chicago as well he's been dealing with right knee soreness uh, for much of the month uh, don't know what the timetable precisely is going to be there uh what else we got here on the right on the knee soreness path Paul George has been dealing with that for a little he's been dealing with knee soreness and forearm tightness is that right yeah you know that forearm tightness uh George said it's been a little wacky there's no actual injury but he says it's been affecting his shot and then uh, this knee soreness the first we've heard of of that you recall he missed time with a calf injury but this would be interesting to see whether Carmelo Anthony can get more involved in the offense I think they've actually been 12 and 3 over their last 15 games in part because he's been less involved in the offense but they're going to need him now and maybe Alex Abrinas can use this as an opportunity to get back on track get back into the rotation and you know we'll continue to see what uh, Josh Hustis can provide there as well no indication yet on how long this could be for George hopefully just a, a short-term management type of thing there uh well we can jump to orlando orlando's been dealing with just a whole bunch of injuries some of which are are more recently occurring some of which are are their guys coming back so the big one right now is nick vucevic broke his left hand he will be out six to eight weeks he's in just in the early phases of that john isaac has another ankle issue it's fortunately not as bad as the last one that he was dealing with where he missed a bunch of time but he's missed 20 of their last 23 games i think it might even be a little bit more than i can remember when we put that in there and then Aaron Gordon had been out for a while but he returned in their home win against the Detroit Pistons on Thursday night yeah Evan Fournier same thing and those two guys still apparently feeling some soreness uh Fournier a right foot issue according to uh John Denton out of Orlando but he's still expected to play on Saturday against the Heat but never good when a guy comes back from an injury and then immediately he's got soreness still and they're trying to manage it uh but for Orlando very interesting to me I really want to see what they look like without Vucevic because my hypothesis has been that he's a big part of what's wrong with their defense and they did hold the Pistons I think to double digits in that game Thursday and there's also a chance for Bismack Biombo finally to play in what really should be his role which is as a center with you know more perimeter oriented players around him and he obviously has been a massive disappointment on that contract he signed we'll see whether in fact he can start to at least provide them with some value but i really am going to be very interested to see what happens to their defense um you know now when they play most spates at backup center it'll go in the toilet again but at least they're not going to be playing spates uh at the four too much uh, hopefully let's take a little break from the injuries and talk some two-way contracts which has been something you and i have been following and and a couple of different ways that this has gone recently so one was alex poitras former kentucky player who's bounced around a little bit over the last couple of years signed a two-way contract with the indiana pacers they have signed him now to a full NBA contract. I believe it is non-guaranteed for this year or lightly guaranteed for this year. And then he has like a late July guarantee date for next season. So congratulations to him for getting a full NBA contract. And hopefully his 
experience on that NBA contract is better than the last two-way guy that was converted to an NBA contract, Mike James, who got no additional guaranteed money on his contract and was shortly cut so that the Phoenix Suns could sign Isaiah Cannon. Yeah, and this is another example uh, we talked about with Gary Payton of this two-way rule where you have these 45 days, you play so well that it's like, oh, you have to get caught or you get signed to another one of these contracts. And then, you know, the Mike James thing isn't as bad to me. You know, I thought it was interesting that he didn't get any guaranteed money but they fully intended to keep him on the roster and so he continued to make an nba salary during that time it's better than if they had just sent him back to the g league for the rest of the year uh and he would have just been making you know that seventy-five thousand per year prorated g league salary so i I don't think it's the end of the world that james got cut you know i think he he had a nice run but ultimately proved to not be that efficient um and cannon has actually been shooting well for them so they desperately need shooting i think he's probably a better option for them than james so i I understand that uh, and then the other thing that's coming up now very quickly the Clippers with their walking wounded we can get to them Danilo Gallinari said before Christmas he expects to miss six weeks of action with the that glute what seemed to be a recurrence of, of that glute issue uh Doc Rivers had said oh I hope it's not as bad as last time it's only a couple of games well uh, after an MRI that proved not to be the case uh Wes Johnson they are finally just now getting him back uh, after a couple of weeks uh, with a sore foot so that'll help them but uh, they've been starting uh, Jamil Wilson and CJ Williams both two-way guys those guys you know I think are in like their last 10 and six days or something of their 45 days respectively and so uh, the question now Danny is uh, what do the Clippers do to the to keep them around they're gonna have to make some cuts if they want to still have these guys on the team and of course they can unilaterally convert them into NBA contracts should they desire but some people are gonna have to go and not only are some people going to have to go but they're they're really close to the luxury tax. My my notes have it that they're about one hundred and twenty million, one hundred twenty thousand below the luxury tax line. So yeah. while while they are hard capped and the hard cap line is not the luxury tax line, the apron is higher than that. I'm guessing, considering where their team is, they're not going to be super thrilled about that. So yeah, they the roster spot issue is there too. I mean, I would say at least for me, Bryce Johnson is probably the closest to it. But then again, this gets into the definitional stuff with the Clippers because they are you know they're kind of in this feasible race. I'm sure we'll talk about this on the fifteen and sixty. So one of the logical ways that you could talk about this is like, oh, well, they could just trade some of those veteran guys who are not necessarily a part of their future, and then that would open up this space. But that's like, well, that then what if they think they're better than that? And so it's complicated, and it will stay complicated because they're getting Blake Griffin back, which is good. He might play in Friday night's game against the Lakers. We don't know. If he plays, he'll start. But they just they need to know what they are, and they need to be honest about it because all of these decisions are running together, and the time line is very very tight on all of it yeah, and they've looked better since Teodosic uh, returned you know of course a reminder Pat Beverly is out for the year Gal is going to be out for a while as well and you know Bryce Johnson is kind of an obvious guy to move on from but really what they need to do is and I'm not sure how much money they spent I would guess that they probably this is just off the top of my head sent some cash with Jamal Crawford to move him to Atlanta before Crawford was eventually bought out and so that they might be impacted there because ideally what they could do is just trade Bryce Johnson to a team and and pay them to do that take on his salary they already declined his uh option for next year but then if you wanted to keep both CJ Williams and Wilson and they've already started like just sending those guys down to the G League in between games just which you know that's not great when you want to actually like have them practice and be a part of the team but they feel like hey we need more time here so uh, that's uh kind of a perversion of the rule as well that like they're just sending them down just to avoid more service time and bring them back up and that's actually going to hurt those guys performance in games most likely so they'd want to maybe move on from someone else there isn't necessarily a logical candidate Jawan Evans and Sidarius Thornwell were just second rounders this year Montrez Harrell has been playing reasonably well for them also Sam Decker is a guy who has some promise he's already under contract for next year so it's, it's really a tough situation for the Clippers to be in right now I'm very interested to see especially with those tax concerns how it turns out and to answer the question that you had earlier according to Eric Pincus, the Clippers have less than 500,000 of their cash remaining to send in trades because not only yeah. did they pay the Hawks in the in the Jamal Crawford three-way trade that got brought them Gallinari, they bought a pick that became Jawan Evans and that money was paid in the 2017-18 season. So that counts towards it. So that's not great for them because that's way less than, you know, what what Bryce Johnson is going to be making. So they might need to attach an asset and the Clippers are not exactly asset rich right now. All right, we got lots more to get to here. 
including those power forward rankings but hopefully if you are someone who plays daily fantasy basketball you'll find uh, all this uh news and analysis uh, worthwhile for you and if you play daily fantasy basketball you should use draft you play with real life snake drafts with other people just like in your season long league and the reason it's better is because you have a much better chance of winning on draft than you do in traditional salary cap sites because it's much harder for professionals to play they're not putting in a hundred lineups a night because you just can't do that with these snake drafts you can't anticipate exactly how that draft is going to go so you've got a much better chance of winning when you're not going up against professionals you're just going up against other fans in general like yourself so it's very accessible as well drafts start from just one dollar so there's a draft for everyone and you can download the app by just searching draft in your app store uh, or you can play right from your computer at draft.com for limited time only all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make it your first deposit but you have to use my promo code capspace and that also of course lets them know that you came from us so play a real money game for free using the promo code capspace on your first deposit at draft.com or the draft app where should we go next here well i mean i i think the big one is isaiah thomas is getting closer to getting back he's going to scrimmage on friday in napa the the Cavs have an off day there and we don't know exactly when he's going to return there's been obviously there would be some excitement if he came back against the celtics on january 3rd but sometime kind of in that range yeah and good to see him scrimmaging there's some video of him just going up and dunking a couple of days ago as well so he looks like he's getting close but clearly they are going to move him along very slowly and i think it would be very very smart especially given isaiah's antipathy for the celtics right now that they not play him early on in his return in that january 3rd game because he obviously you know the the intensity there it's not what you want to get back into after you know eight months basically of not playing and uh derrick rose not really supposed to be close he's progressed to running on that sprint ankle but you know probably not really going to be much of a role for him anyway once uh, thomas has returned in houston clint capella uh, had been dealing with a sore heel was able to return at a wonderful game against okc on christmas and then suffered an orbital fracture he missed their blown 26 point lead against boston the other night he will also miss their game at washington then will be reevaluated. chris paul slated to return this weekend either tonight or tomorrow night unlikely to play both ends of that back-to-back we don't know exactly as we record this on friday afternoon what the story is going to be there and then uh some ugly news out of detroit avery bradley who has resumed basketball activities that's not the ugly news he's hoping to return in the next few days but uh, tmz reporting that uh, a woman claimed that bradley sexually assaulted her uh, while she was passed out uh, drunk back on may 23rd in cleveland uh, when bradley was in town during the eastern conference finals and that bradley apparently agreed to a settlement with her uh, but now of course it it has been leaked to to tmz uh, bradley's attorney saying that he denies having engaged in any wrongdoing and uh that the confidentiality confidentiality agreement uh which appears to indicate that some money was paid as a result uh does specifically refute and deny the validity of all allegations of any wrongful conduct by mr bradley and that the sole purpose of the agreement was to protect the reputation and privacy of mr bradley and his family i guess the indication there being that at least from bradley's side that this was more to protect his public image than obviously anything having to do with criminal wrongdoing but i think it's me very interesting especially in the post harvey weinstein climate that we find ourselves in here to see whether the nba is going to engage in any discipline here you know if this were the nfl and the way roger goodell does things you imagine that there would be some kind of an investigation i'm interested the nba has not been as proactive with these sorts of things we did see them kind of blow with the wind a little bit more on domestic violence um in particular with jeffrey taylor back in 2014 but nothing came out of for example the jeff with the allegations from last year and again we have no idea how truthful any of these allegations are or not but it remains to be seen whether the league is going to kind of get involved in, in an extrajudicial kind of way that that the nfl does given the way that society seems to have uh focused in on these sorts of things a little bit more in these past few months or so and in this case it gets even more complicated with the idea that there is a, a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement because then doing research on it depending on how the terms of, of that sort of a thing get, get really complicated but we can move on to avery bradley's former teammate jalen brown who 
who has been dealing with an ankle issue, and there's some concern that he's uh, strained some ligaments around his MCL, but he's day-to-day. We don't know exactly what the timeline for him is at this moment, but they were still able to get that big comeback win against the Rockets on Thursday. And pretty remarkable, too, that even the Boston Celtics, the team that we just were like, I can't believe how many wings they have. They have the most wings of any team in the NBA, maybe outside of the Warriors. And yet, they're still a little shorthanded here with Brown. So, I mean, Ojale missed Wednesday with the back. Obviously, Hayward has been out all season. Marcus Morris is just now coming back uh, from his sore knee. Didn't look great uh, on Christmas. So, I guess the the moral of the story is you can never have too many wings. Uh, in Brooklyn, D'Angelo Russell, Sean Marks, uh, Brooklyn's GM, saying that he's still a couple of weeks away after having that knee surgery. Uh, in Golden State, uh, Omri Caspi may miss tonight. Or actually, in fact, has been ruled out tonight against Charlotte with an ankle injury. But Steph Curry, uh, according to Steve Kerr, likely to return Saturday against the Memphis Grizzlies. And we'll, I assume we'll talk on the 1560 about how different that they, they've looked as a team. And we still are kind of waiting for exactly what the timeline is going to be. for. So Kyle Kuzma has a quad contusion, but played 41 minutes on Christmas. And I believe he played in their next game, too. He is questionable for yeah. Friday night's yeah, game. Yeah, he, he suffered the quad contusion, to be clear, uh, after Christmas. Right, um, it was in that... that was yeah. that against Portland? Am I remembering correctly? Uh, I believe so. I think it was on Wednesday. But but Luke Walton uh, saying, you know, he wants to reduce his minutes anyway and wants to try and keep him healthy as a rookie, but also acknowledging, especially with some of the injuries that they have had, that it has been difficult to uh, take him off the floor, especially since they've been so limited in terms of their shot creation. And then also in LA, Brandon Ingram missed the game against Portland, missed the game against Minnesota. Oh, and then he just played a mere 44 minutes against Memphis. <laughs> on wednesday uh not the way i would have gone but he says he he's uh he may be sore but he'll he'll deal with it uh both he had issues with both quads uh, apparently but uh yeah and he had undergone quite a minute's load again they're just they're very limited in terms of the available wings so there's a, a temptation to play him a lot but i mean come on you're not going anywhere this season like 44 minutes is completely and utterly excessive it feels like we should go from there to the sixers so the sixers Embiid is not going to play in their next game which I believe is on on Saturday. And then Robert Covington injured his middle finger against Portland, is dealing with a myriad other injuries. Justin Anderson didn't play against Portland, but he's he's back now, which is good. And Marco Fultz is making progress. Um, the hope is that he'll be able to play five on five soon. He's made this road trip. And so the Sixers are just dealing with this as they're handling just some trouble in terms of wins and losses as well. Yeah, they are now 15 and 19 and with some of the other teams above them uh, playing reasonably well uh, they continue to, to fall behind and Covington in particular I mean they need him not only playing but playing well and shooting well uh, really uh, to be a playoff caliber team and, and obviously uh, Embiid's issues uh, as well are concerned at least JJ Redick was able to return from the, that hamstring injury uh, in San Antonio Kawhi Leonard has been playing a, a little bit more minutes scored over 20 I think for the first time uh, the other night it had a couple of dunks uh, but just as they're getting him back though he's still missing some back-to-backs uh rudy gay out two weeks uh, with a sore heel this is right retro calcaneal bursitis i hope i pronounced that right doctors you can uh let me know if i got it wrong uh that's uh, an issue basically behind the heel bone worth noting this is the opposite side of that left achilles that he tore last year in sacramento but you know certainly something that could be an issue in the spurs of course will manage this very conservatively and um, and as jeff Jeff, Jeff yeah. McDonald has noted today when they when the Rudy Gay thing came out that the Spurs have had their normal complement of guys, not even at 100% for exactly one game so far this year. Yeah, and even then Kawhi, of course, was on the minutes limit. Uh, in Utah, Hul Neto continues to miss time on the same play. He actually suffered a left knee bone bruise and concussion. No word on when he'll be back, but it seems like pretty severe concussion for him. And then from a couple of the tanking squads, uh, Devon Reed, part of why I think they moved on from Mike James is that uh, the number 32 overall pick uh, out of Miami could return as early as January from uh, his knee injury and then uh, in Atlanta Mike Muscala who's had this lingering ankle injury now for over two months he at least is rehabbing in the G League and he could finally be back it'll be interesting to see how the minutes get managed now John Collins of course uh, playing a lot for them Dwayne Debman remains out with that stress reaction for at least a couple more weeks uh, but Muscala you imagine 
will come right into it once he's ready to go if he can play at his former level you know he's probably an upgrade at least on on what uh, miles Plumley has been giving them and then uh, very quickly in dallas uh jordan finney smith was potentially to return this month per rick carlisle's comments earlier in the month but does not appear to be close he's still struggling with uh quad tendonitis that seems to be the injury du jour this season uh and then two more things there and we're finally we can get to those power forward rankings <laughs> we had a lot of news to get through uh jermichael green has missed the last couple of games he missed wednesday uh with right knee soreness and the grizzlies are the walking wounded in terms of various parts of the court but especially in the front court because brandon wright's been been missing time as well and so they've relied more on on Jarrell martin who has i think done a pretty good job in minutes and deontay davis actually had some good minutes as well and then the knicks have been surviving without tim hardaway jr it looks like he's going to be looking towards coming back in early january but he still hasn't started running yet so you all you always kind of have to be patient you know it's, it's in stages and i always try to think of it of like when a guy reaches a milestone then you start to look at the timeline anew from that point yeah and frank isola made the the comment that oh really the knicks couldn't have figured out that he like wouldn't be back after the initial you know being reevaluated in two weeks at timeline and, and it is interesting this you know something that's entered the lexicon in the last couple of seasons here this uh, being reevaluated and so i think the idea is just by saying two weeks that you are just avoiding a negative headline of just oh hey tim hardaway jr is out for you know at least four weeks or something like that um and, and then actually one we have not discussed yet is uh reggie jackson will be reevaluated oh that's right eight weeks uh after a really nasty ankle sprain grade three which you don't often see sounds like he's going to at least uh, avoid surgery but this is the type of bad ankle sprain where it's like okay this could affect your career and really you lose some of that elasticity in the ankle and so that, that's uh that's definitely kind of depressing for a detroit team that had been playing well i think you know hopefully they won't miss too much of a beat with ish smith but again you know who's going to come in now as their backup langston galloway maybe can move over there he's not a true point we know avery bradley is not uh, luke kennard can give them some kind of ball handling they've got dwight bikes uh, available but you know he's never been a guy who has been able to stick in the nba so certainly the hope would be for me that maybe jackson can get back and be 100 percent by the playoffs but this sounds like something that really you know, is going to take some time for him well, and what was glenn robinson's he it was his grade three or was that just a really bad grade two because he's been out you I know mean, the whole season so far uh, I'm not really sure uh, what exactly it was, but I think he had surgery, so that was a, a different animal. Oh yeah, that, that, I think you're right. And then the other, the one other small piece of news that that happened pretty recently: the Rockets. We've talked about this uh, depth on the podcast. Have been really dealing with injuries at, at various positions, and so they gave a non guaranteed contract to Gerald Green. Gerald Green played in their loss on Thursday against the Celtics. Got a, a warm reception from the Celtics, where he's played multiple times in his past, and I don't think he's exactly what they need but having another body certainly helps yeah and just if you're looking for someone who can just be alive on the wing which which is what they need uh, he certainly can fulfill that role and maybe get some shots up and you know i think at least as far as his three-point tendencies he's finally uh, in the right place and he's from houston area uh, originally all right let's rank some power fours here man so originally i thought that the stress of positional definitions was was the two and the three because we had gone through with all these guys and you're going it's like oh Jalen Brown Jason Tate and and the three four as well you know and so we had all that done and so I'm sitting there going okay you know I know we still have some to do and then I start looking through guys like Anthony Davis and Chris Stapps Porzingis and Horford and just going oh god we have to do this all over again Yes, I'm afraid we do. And so coming up with the rubric for determining who's a power forward and who's the center, obviously there are plenty of guys who are more in the combo forward mold who are closer to threes really than they are to fives in this. But And there are certainly plenty of other players who really fall into your traditional kind of power forward definition. Now, traditional power forward is not necessarily the same as what your typical power forward is today. So I thought, you know, obviously it's a case-by-case basis, but a few things came to mind. Number one, I think if you're 
you're going to try and make the argument that a guy is a center he has to have at least played center significant minutes in his career and been effective there so and so that's one you know Chris has Porzingis is a perfect example there right I mean I think we both agree that his best position in the long term will be center but really has not been a good enough defensive rebounder still a little bit too thin to be a center and you know it's not like the team to some degree they have been this year but there's not been enough minutes to really say for sure but the team has not been incredibly effective with him and so he's played the vast majority of his minutes at power forward rather than center so he's still a power forward to me another guy that you could look at is al horford horford to me probably is a center their best lineups all have him at center he's playing about 60 percent of his minutes at center this year in atlanta during the entirety of his time with paul Millsap, he generally would play at center as well so he's really been a center for many years certainly very capable of playing at power forward he's starting at power forward right now with some of the injuries that they've had but really probably more of a center at this point especially as he's beginning to get a little bit slower uh that's someone that you would look at but in general for me if you can't shoot threes or at least be pretty capable out to long twos you're probably a center for me unless like you're someone who's under six eight like you know julius randall or a kenneth farid or you play for tom, tom thibodeau which means that you're tosh gibson <laughs> um and then also like you need to be able to guard the position right like dirk Nowitzki, he is a center now because the mavericks realize there's just no way he can possibly guard out at the three-point line like today if you are a power forward in today's game you have to have the ability to guard out on the perimeter at the three-point line you have to be able to guard someone like a, a tobias harris type of guy off the dribble and you got to at least maybe have some modicum of ability to switch on to smaller players as well i mean there are not that many teams anymore who play conventional pick and roll defense with their four men you know that's probably i, I shouldn't say it but it's probably you know 50 50 or so at least at this point so that's part of the job as well and so the less that you can do all of those things the more we're going to look at you as a five and obviously we explained from the standpoint of a three you know what makes them a three when we did those rankings and finally to, to wrap up here too we looked at it as what would your position be on most teams in the nba day? yeah and so so then you, you're trying to take out the specific stuff of oh they happen to play with this guy and i'll do a quick rapid fire so we've already talked about a lot of the ones and this is on the guys who are not on the list because obviously the guys who are we're going to talk about them so players that are on the center list Derek favors mike muscala jordan bell zach randolph ed davis sabonis willie collie stein kelly olenic gorgie jang my friend joffrey laverne and zach collins those are the ones that we haven't talked about yet though those will all be if they come up they will come up in the center conversation yeah i think the biggest thing that for guys like that who certainly many of those guys have played at power forward is just really their difficulty guarding out in the perimeter and inability to shoot it in a lot of cases too for, from three-point range but really just in terms of guarding guys one-on-one on the perimeter that's where i think is the number one thing that differentiates and then to get back to porzingis too for a lot of teams you know they love to play these guys at center but it's just harder to find a combo forward to play next to them or harder to find more wings to play next to them and so it makes more sense the knicks are a perfect example here right the knicks have a billion centers many of them are pretty effective and so it just makes more sense to play Porzingis at the four he can handle it then if you play him at the five I mean they didn't have enough wings before Carmelo Anthony left and now I mean you've got Lance Thomas they don't really have any threes on the roster at all you know so you're going with like McDermott or trying to find a way to get enough wings out there when their centers are just better players and and we've noted that there just are more centers you know AD is another example of this perhaps I mean I think he's someone who fits into more of the classic power forward mold certainly very capable of playing center probably best at center but you know they have demarcus cousins who's a star next to him as well so he plays the four a lot of the time and then switches over to five and he also doesn't want to play center i mean that's a part of the reason why they've brought yeah. in so many yeah. centers over the years ashik and agensa and and cousins you know they're they're paying all those guys serious money and a big part of that is because yeah he can do it in the playoffs but he doesn't necessarily want to take that grind and i totally understand that and then to get into the rankings themselves something we're doing in this that we did in all of the other ones is there are tiers and then in the early tiers there are rankings within the tiers but in the later ones there are not so don't be like oh you know once we get into like tier five and six or wherever wherever that line is or being like oh you said this name before that name those guys are all so close that we're not really gonna draw differences of course we are gonna in certain circumstances have preferences and 
at least for me, I, I'm not as interested, other than at the tippy top, in terms of where guys fit within a tier. It's more like it, where, which, where you draw the lines. Because in power forwards, I actually found this in certain places to be a very hard place to draw lines. Yeah, I, I, for me, it wasn't as bad in the first couple of tiers. I actually will say that I found it actually easier to rank these guys than twos and threes. And I think the big reason for that is that it's certainly true to some degree, but a lot of these guys aren't as dependent on the ability to shoot the three ball for their value and that's why i struggled a lot with twos and threes to just say all right who's shooting is real whose isn't if this guy shot well last until up until this year and now he's not shooting well the first two months of the year how does that affect his ranking there isn't quite as much of that to me here but i will start with the lone player in my top tier and that is uh Giannis Adenokounmpo. so i have Giannis number one as well but i have him with anthony davis in tier one the yeah, I, that was a struggle yeah it me. was a challenge i mean with da- the, there are arguments both ways i mean for me the idea that Davis can be a, a, a game-changing defender, even if that happens a lot at center, he still it still counts. You know that he's a really good power forward. He is a, a wonderful offensive player as well. And the reason why I had them in the same tier is also just kind of from a team-building perspective. Because really, oh, we should talk about this. That it's really like kind of who you would want to have for the rest of this season. This is not projecting moving forward. This is not our prospect rankings. This is not yeah. best career. And so, if you're thinking about it, separating out the team circumstances, while Giannis is wonderful and what he does is super important for his team his limitations with certain other constructs would become a greater challenge whereas Anthony Davis I feel like is more of a plug-and-play guy I have no problem with you having them in separate tiers but I feel like to me the line between them is so faint that I wanted and I also thought that the line between them and everyone else was broad enough that I it just felt appropriate yeah and I had Davis by the way in the second tier uh ranked number two overall as well uh by himself I think he's still quite above the rest of these guys here and certainly you know davis's ability to play center you know i think of him mainly as a power forward that's how he thinks of himself but if you have that ability to move to to center and Giannis has the ability to move to the three as well you know as uh defensively and i like when guys can play up when they can but he certainly can play the three can guard even ones if he needs to uh on switches can guard fives and Giannis even has started playing a little bit of five as well here so i i think the reason i had Giannis in a separate tier about davis I think Giannis has been you know a clear top five guy I just think that wings who can handle the ball are just a more valuable species and while Giannis were ranking him as a power forward because he can certainly play there defensively no problem and has played there the vast majority of his minutes this season and has the size of a power forward and also can't really shoot at all like that's part of why I think of him as more of a power forward than a three but the ability to just be a guy you just throw him the ball grab and go like he's just a more valuable offensive player than Davis in my opinion so that's why I had it and I also think that Giannis another reason that I I had Giannis higher actually is just uh the injury issue yeah that's where I was gonna go hurt and and Davis you know he's always due to miss you know a few games or just you know he averages what 65 games a year for his career or 70 games a year and Giannis you know plays nearly every game and that is a big differentiator in terms of value just because those these guys are so good that getting them an extra five to ten games per year means a lot and I'm guessing we're going to have a a a discrepancy on the next thing and maybe not in terms of the ordering but i went back and forth on this a lot so i have those two guys in tier one my tier two is just one guy and that's draymond green and the reason Hmm. why is that i think he's proven it to a different degree than a guy like porzingis who's close on my list and he has a different kind of versatility than a lot of the other players that we're going to talk about in this next tier so it's kind of like i i don't know if it's reliable all nba i didn't really draw any sort of definitional thing but also the fact that he can play center in strong defensive lineups is a real game breaker and so he is not at the same level of Giannis and AD but to me he is at this moment in time separated from the other guys yeah and I understand that argument he also has a uh, much better health than anyone below him in this tier but I I had a five person tier three with Draymond at the top of that and it's certainly a, a reasonable argument to me that he should be above all these guys in a separate tier and then uh Porzingis number four Lamarcus Aldridge number five Kevin Love six and Blake Griffin seven uh with Love Griffin Porzingis Aldridge to a lesser extent uh, the injury concerns all come in Green just it always been a hard guy to rank but certainly I mean if you look at any kind of advanced stats Green well above Porzingis Aldridge uh, Griffin Love is probably the second best of this group just in terms of you know RPM on off base stats but I also think Green hasn't been as good this year but he's rounding into form lately he's ha- was dealing with that 
shoulder issue, but in general, not a guy who has missed significant time. And you got the feeling, even with that shoulder issue, that he could have played through it if it had been playoff time. And you've mentioned also he's proven it in the playoffs. He can also play center, which a lot of these guys can, but he can play center and elite level. The switching that he provides, one through five. And then, you know, his offense will wax and wane, but his ability to grab and go is a big part of their transition attack. His passing, obviously, you know, he's probably the best passer um, of anybody on this list outside of maybe Giannis. So that's, I I agree that that Draymond is clearly at the top of this list, and and I wouldn't argue with you having him in a, a higher tier. Something that's striking about this group, which mine is almost the same, the only difference is being that I have Draymond above it, and then I have Paul Millsap included in, I think I know why you're going to not have him there. But so the the yeah. striking thing about this is how known all of these commodities are. This is not anything like in so many of these other ones where it's like, oh, well, what if they put it together or anything like that? Like we've, the entire, the entirety of the Dunked On Basketball podcast, we've talked about Love, Aldridge, Griffin, and Millsap, and then Porzingis, I mean, for his entire career, or even you and I watched the tape of him when he was at Sevilla, you know, that these guys, we know what they are, and we know that they're incredibly talented. They're All of them are gifted offensively, and, and the, the trade-offs between them, I mean, it, it is, a lot of it is beauty in the eye of the beholder, which I do heartily enjoy, because it is about, you know, what, what you need for that specific team, and all of these guys have had moments of absolute brilliance. I mean, I would say LaMarcus, other than Porzingis, probably, of my tier for this, has had the best season. I still had love over him, but again, you're you're picking hairs, and it's about what you like most, and these uh, these guys and what you like least in certain other ways yeah for me love is just a lower due to potential injury concerns and also just you know being pretty much a one-way player at this point you know which is just it's up to you and even love you know someone who has played he started at center this year so you had to think about maybe putting him at center but he is he's very much a classic power forward type body um and on most teams again you know cleveland has lebron james they've got jay crowder they've got jeff green they've got a lot of guys now where he can play center and you can fill in around him uh, on the wing uh most teams he would clearly be a, a power forward um I actually I changed up the more I thought about it I actually put LaMarcus ahead of Porzingis I, I think Porzingis uh, with some of the injury concerns and then just he's kind of been dropping off and is shooting from the field as well well that's never happened and before so, at this point in the season yes yeah and so just when I started really thinking about okay you know going forward who would I rather have it probably uh, Aldridge would probably be the guy um but th- th- very close between those two and then I mean Blake Griffin just the injuries you wonder but he played at a pretty high level this year before he went down so I I, I would put him here and then Millsap you, you are correct the reason I had him at number eight but I had him a tier below uh due to his age and he's going to turn 33 this year uh the Nuggets really not that much better offensively you know he you can even make the argument that he was hurting their offense when he was out there they have not really missed a beat without him although you know obviously defensively I think he's still a very valuable player but not a believer in his shooting and, and I'm not sure that he's that helpful of an offensive player at this point in his career and you know he's also out with this wrist injury now and we'll see you know when you consider just value over the rest of the season uh you have to consider that he's gonna miss the next month and a half probably yeah I I I kind of weighed it more in terms of propensity for injuries rather than what they were currently going through just as an intellectual exercise for me I found it more interesting but you can do that either way and and the other reason why I had Millsap in that tier is just because I think he's a significantly better player and has proven it so much more than the next guys on the list a lot of players that I do really like but that he to me is in a, in a different caliber and so you know it, you're never going to be perfect with the tier system some you know the difference between seven and eight on some lists is very is much different than between eight and nine but I, I i felt more comfortable with him there and then you get into this next group well well so so one more thing i sure. that too but before you move on i think for me it really was more just about his age coming yeah, he'll back be 33 injury, anticipating what he'll be he'll, he'll turn yeah, 33 about when he comes back from injury it's his february is his birthday yeah so anticipating what he's going to be going forward and just the, the inevitable progression of time if this were just you know what have these guys done you know last year then he's clearly you know he's in this group with love and, and griffin but um yeah so so who else did you have then in this next year mine was five deep but i there are a lot of guys around this area that i began to really struggle with yeah it was similar for me so the way i classified this group was unambiguous positive so that doesn't mean they're perfect players obviously if they were perfect players they would be much higher on this list but it's players who if you put them in a variety of circumstances I think they would help your team more than they would hurt you a vast majority of the time and that's really where I drew the differentiation line and so that's why Millsap could easily be in this group but I have him one above that so for me the guys that were that were that I felt comfortable putting in this group uh, Tobias Harris is having a wonderful year he 
was good last year too. He's been, you know, obviously his three-point shooting is largely unsustainable, but I thought he had a nice year in Detroit. And then the guy who would have been his front court partner in Orlando, Aaron Gordon, has really stepped up this year. I like him as a support defensive player. You know, not I, the, the whole idea of him being a wing stopper always seemed unrealistic to me. And even if he's not shooting 45% from three like he was early in the year, if he can be high 30s, then that's still an incredibly valuable player. And then the other two guys who we might disagree on, I have a feeling with that, is uh, Serge Baca. I, I just still, even though he's probably better at center than the four, I still think he can really contribute. And Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young is in really, to me, in line with guys like Tobias Harris and Aaron Gordon, where not really dominant on both ends, but he's good enough that you'll be happy with him. So to me, that puts him in the top half of the power forwards, but not, you know, outside of this group or anything crazy like that, like above this group. Yeah. So uh, let me hit on a lot of those. So my number eight, Paul Millsap, number nine, Aaron Gordon, 10 was Tobias Harris and some very controversial inclusions here, guys that I really struggled with. Number 11, Carmelo Anthony and number 12, uh, Jabari Parker. And to talk about Gordon and Harris first, both those guys very dependent uh, in this ranking for the way they've shot from three so far this season. You know, Gordon, his the rest of his jump shooting has not really improved. You know, he's 35% uh, on long twos still this year, but he's 41% from three. Harris is at 45% from three. And he certainly, you know, both those guys, their shots look a lot better. So, you know, you'd like to think there's something real there, maybe not as real as those lofty percentages would indicate. And Gordon, you know, getting a read on where his defense is is kind of difficult. Certainly athletically, you'd think that he would be good, but these Magic teams have been pretty awful. How much of that is is Vucevic and some of the other bad defenders? How much of it it really (laughs) is still on him? And then to round out this tier, Carmelo and Parker. Carmelo, I think, is just going to play better uh, the rest of the year. I mean, I think he's just, he's going to shoot better. We've seen him get attacked defensively, and that's very worrisome to be sure. But I, I think he can be a lot better than he's been. And Jabari was a very, very impressive offensive force last year before he went down a similar type of player though in in being mostly offensively oriented but the news on Parker as far as getting back seems to be good you know it seems like he basically is ready he's not going to come back till February but both of those guys are tough I mean it's to have guys and remember also that with Carmelo he's being underutilized right now probably on this OKC team because they have Westbrook and George who are two superior creators for him you know if you wanted to put him on another team where he could be a top two option he still I think is would be capable of fulfilling that reasonably well and same thing with Parker too I mean playing next to Giannis he probably will be underutilized but we're trying to get an idea of these guys in the landscape of the league and if you want to say as offensive players you know the, these guys should probably you know are eight and ninth on this list that I would say you know they'd be ahead of Millsap Gordon and Harris obviously they have defense limitations but being able to create shots uh, is a very important skill and, and still be able to shoot ball as well so that's why I have them a, a little bit higher just in terms of like where I think they could be on a typical team even if neither of them are particularly set up to thrive I just value that skill of being you know close to you know a number one number two option type of player at the power forward I get I get it with Jabari I mean for me if if he had proven it that he could made made it back even 90% from the ACL he would be in tier four for me and he would be yeah. high in tier four you know he he's that's how good a player he is and and we talked about this a little bit in I brought it up because I had him as an honorable mention in the prospects podcast because he was a wonderful offensive player last year and sure. and power forwards you know it's it, a lot of times especially if they're a straight four it's value added defensively but the ability to create reliable shots is incredibly valuable at every position and so a guy who's deficient but not abysmal defensively has a lot of value there and so I think that's a, a really good argument for him if I would have him there if I if I saw it, but I haven't seen it yet I don't count stand, standing there diligently watching him at the Golden One Center hey, shooting he, for 25 he minutes. Practiced, he practiced with, uh, you know, the Wisconsin herd five on five. He's ready to go, man. <laughs> and so, and then with Mello, Mello is actually some of the inspiration for me defining my terms as the unambiguous positives. And the next one is going to be ambiguous positives where it's positive players, but there are, are things that, and with Mello, you have the, the kind of the two criticisms. So obviously the positives are, you, you brought them up. They're easy to talk about. The negatives, I mean, defensively, he's taken a massive step back, not only in terms of just capability but also effort I think that he's been worse defensively the last couple years and the Thunder have been good defensively but I think a lot of that has been in spite of him and we see that with various elite defensive teams this year and then the other one is I articulated this and a lot of people got really mad at me as they often do talking 
about Devin Booker in the prospects pod and in the in the small, in the shooting guard pod, with the idea being that they're very good at what they do, but I don't think that, especially with Melo to a certain point, that he is good enough at it to really elevate an offense. It's more like he can get them to a certain level, and there is absolutely a value to that, especially if they did it with the second unit with Oklahoma City. But if you're talking about like, oh, if he was on a different team, he would help their offense. That's true, but I don't think it would help their offense be great. It would help their offense be good to maybe very good. And that is valuable, but is a whole heck of a lot less valuable than what he used to bring when when he his presence sure. alone would be there. And so that's why he's tier five for me. And if you believe that this is, that what we have seen this year is not as reflective and that is a fair argument to make, then yeah. then you can because have Because this two. year he's sucked. Like if yes. you were just ranking these guys solely on their production this year, I mean, Carmelo is like 500 true shooting, high usage, you know, which is below average efficiency, high usage, taking the ball out of the hands of, of more efficient players and he's sucked on defense so when you look at that you know he wouldn't even be in the top 30 in terms of just his production this year this is just a a bet that he can be better or that he could be better in another circumstance and if he plays like this all year you know he the drop in my rankings will be precipitous i'm just not quite ready to give up on him yet yeah and that's fair so so let's i think a way to kind of oh can we talk about let's talk about thad young sure who who you had in this tier and, and i had really kind of down the middle of my next tier which would be just kind of solid stars and i think for me the idea of young he's someone that we've said it was underrated for a while i like having him as you know a combo for but i and i think defensively he can have some really nice games uh on the glass he's inadequate you know he's a big part of why they have not been good on the defensive glassing as their centers have not been good either uh and then you know offensively i would look at him at a little bit below average um as an offensive player you know he can shoot threes he's shooting a few more looks more comfortable he's been in the 35 percent range or so this season it took him a while to get over that mental block of doug collins telling him not to shoot threes from earlier in his career but he still goes left around the rim every time he's not an amazing finisher he's got like an okay floater game but his usage is like way lower than you would think it would be and he's not going to really ever do anything one-on-one he can't really run a pick and roll he's not a great you know he's very switchable as the role man in a pick and roll as well so i i would look at him as if you're going to rank starting power forward in terms of their offense i'd rank him as below effort um and then i think defensively he's solid but not like amazing and not a guy who necessarily brings it uh, every night uh, although he, he has had some really nice games as well that tour nba show i think he had like six deals or something like that but um so th- that's my feelings on young i think of it more just you know kind of in the mix with a lot of these other solid starting power forwards used to be combo forwards now they're kind of more just straight yeah I-, I just think of him offensively what i like about young is that he isn't as as high usage so i feel like he's in a, in a good spot there where he doesn't he's not kind of over aggressive and also defensively he's capable and doesn't make as many mistakes which i like you know he's i i sometimes that's a bigger frustration for me when a guy especially power forward leaves the teammates high and dry i i could totally like he, i bounced him he was one of the few players that actually moved in tears for me a lot of times it was about defining terms but he he did and i i just i don't know i think he's i think he's done a little bit to to be there but again it's these are really close on the margins and what i found interesting going into tier five which i called ambiguous positive so these are guys that i think help their teams but they don't help against everybody or they have weaknesses is how many different types of players or the basically the reasons that guys got in this tier are completely different so like for me with mellow mellow's in this tier because defensively he's been bad and because the the misgivings that i talked about before whereas like pj tucker is in that next tier for completely different reasons like he's a, a such a strong player defensively and then he's become much more comfortable with his strengths and weaknesses offensively so like pj tucker and Mello would not succeed in the same circumstances they're very very different players and this tier is basically it's it's kind of like the island of misfit toys but that's not really fair because some guys i think that being in this tier is kind of an accomplishment yeah i think so and there uh, one guy who i really struggled with ranking in here i mean i had a bunch of probably over 10 guys and which i kind of thought is basically just you know solid starter type of players you you have this guy on your team you're not like oh man we gotta upgrade here <clears throat> but kyle kuzma was someone that i really oh man in ranking here because you know i think he especially as he's able to handle just a slightly larger role you know he certainly could have gone up into that same tier kind of you know profiling as like a carmelo jabari parker type of, of offensive player but you know we don't know how real the shooting is yet the defense it's been a struggle for him that seems to be the consensus that he's, he's not been good defensively so far though he's, he's made some stride recently uh but 
you know, he's been putting up these 30 point games. He's been uh, overall pretty efficient. And so just if he just keep this up a little bit longer, he's got the ability potentially to rocket it into a higher tier. I mean, much as we dealt with the prospects, he was one of the guys who just was a struggle for me. Uh, and then some of the other guys that I had in this tier, I mean, I mean, I think it's really for this, it's more interesting of like, when does this year end? So here are the guys that I thought of as just like solid starters, you know, in, in very rough order. And just feel free to stop me if you want to discuss any of the, if you have discrepancies on any of these guys or you wanted to uh, hit them. So Serge Ibaka, you know, I know you had him ahead. Um, for me, especially looking at like the playoffs, his lack of awareness, I, I think was a big problem last season. A little bit of an injury risk as well. Uh, Ryan Anderson really improved defensively this year. The spacing, his ability to shoot it from just so deep. I mean, there's nobody else on this list really who shoots it with the type of range that he does from the power forward position. You know, every time people are like, oh man, this guy could be like a Ryan Anderson type. I'm like, oh really? Is he, he's going to make like 40% on, uh, you know, 28 foot three pointers? Like, okay, I'll wait to see. Like, yeah, it might be like, yeah, he made some threes in college or whatever, but like Ryan Anderson is an absolutely special shooter for his size at 6'10". Danilo Gallinari I had in there as well, more of a power forward at this point, but he's got to actually stay healthy and and his game has declined even when he's been in there. And so with Gallo, if... I weren't as concerned, and not saying clean bill health, but if I were less concerned with health, I think on talent, he's tier four, but being healthy is something that provides real value and he can't do that right now. And that's been yeah. an issue for him the last couple of years. And so that, yeah, so for me, he's tier four in talent and then tier five in for me as well for that reason. But he, I, I think yeah, we do. I would uh, say he's even tier five, even, even healthy at this point, just because of his defensive limitations and the fact that I think his offensive game is athleticism getting the rim has fallen off significantly it's such a shame that his the glute thing happened at the same time that Blake Griffin was out because we we've yeah. never really gotten to see a little there was a little bit of that last year with that that really fun Denver team once after they traded Nurkic but the idea of him playing the four not even next to somebody like Jokic which is ridiculous but next to more of like a traditional five like I I think that would still work I'm a believer that it would still work if you were ever healthy but again that's a huge concern all right so some other names that this is kind of in rough order for me but but very rough. I didn't spend a ton of time here. I've just got bullet points here instead of rankings. But you know, Kuzma would be right at the top of this group for me right now. Uh, Nikola Miritich as well, another guy who, if he keeps playing like this, uh, would be awesome. But now, of course, the Bulls uh, are starting marketing again. I think that has hurt Miritich's production some. And, you know, he, he's been shooting the ball well, but he's had these stretches of shooting well, and then it'll go ice cold again. Uh, his former teammate in Chicago, Taj Gibson, is having a, a really nice year so far. He's really one of the few guys on this list that we counted as a four despite not even having a semblance of, of three-point range but he's continued to play well and just the individual offensive talent lets him get by and he also has some added versatility to play center in another situation so you got to throw that in as well uh the morris brothers uh, both right in there for me james johnson uh, as a combo forward can shoot the three a little bit handle the ball uh, defend al farouk aminu who quietly is actually shooting at last i checked like 48 percent on threes on, on a short uh number of attempts of course and then uh, three guys who i thought about putting down in the bottom tier but these these are kind of the last three guys in this tier for me that i think of as just you know a solid starter level of player uh marvin williams pj tucker and jamichael green yeah i had challenges with all those guys marvin i, I think it, it's he's kind of been a victim of circumstance a little bit with charlotte just that he hasn't had the full chance to to kind of show himself and that team has been just dealing with so many injuries but i had him this year well, what does that mean I, what do you mean the full chance to show himself well i mean with when kemba missed time and so their offense was just a train wreck and like playing like five games playing next to no i'm talking about last year um and mkg you know a guy who playing with a guy who can't shoot so that he doesn't get the chance to drive as much they also play with a traditional five almost the entire time i don't think he can i think he just he just is a standstill three-point shooter who uh, and i think his ability to switch is starting to become more limited you know he's flashed some nice rim protection that's fallen off a little bit as well but you know he's still he's shooting 40 percent on threes but it just he seems like pretty much a one-trick pony offensively every now and again he'll like slip a screen but i i i've toyed with having him lower than this but you know i mean he's still a solid player but he's just you know maybe a guy who should probably be moving to the bend pretty shortly if they of course have no other ops there and i like that you we both had the same problem with this my original my tier five had 20 guys in it and i actually created so i had a tier five and then I had a tier six and then i had uh then i created a tier 5.5 where it's just like i felt less confident in those guys and that's where i had al farouk and Minu. and with jermichael green i just need to watch more of him this year last year i would have had him in tier five 
have, and I just need to watch. You know, since com- coming back from yeah. the injuries he's been dealing with, so I had him. I had him in the next one in my five point five, just because I, f- I was feeling a little conservative with him. But again, it's such a he. He was right on the margin for me between this one and the last one. Yeah. So then uh, my line of demarcation here was maybe some young guys who are kind of you know around the fringes of being a starting level player, but haven't really proven it yet, uh, or guys who really are starting to get into having major weaknesses uh, on one side of the ball or, or the other. So Julius Randle was near the top of that list for me, a guy who almost is playing as a center, but he's really probably just too small to be considered a, as like a, a normal center, even in, in today's day and age. Uh, Dario Saric is in this category for me as well. Bobby Portis, who actually has played extremely well this year, he's got a PR in the 20s, uh, 25% usage, 56% true shooting is not bad. Still not great defensively, but he's played well enough that he at least you know deserves some mention. He's been a big part of their surge uh, as well as uh, his fellow member of the one-two punch, uh, Nikola Miritich. Uh, Trey Lyles is shooting the ball extremely well from three right now in Denver, playing some small ball center even as well. I mean, he's shown some progress. Uh, Larry Markinen, another guy you know, starting to lose his efficiency, had a hot start the year. Unclear exactly where he's at as far as helping a team win, but you know he's shown some skills, but he's still a rookie. So I, I might have even, this might even be a little bit too high to be talking about him in this year. Um, and then Rondé Hollis Jefferson is a really interesting case. Smallest guy, you know, probably uh, lightest guy on this list as well can't shoot three-pointers but you know has gets gotten to the foul line has defensive versatility not quite a lockdown guy on the perimeter but it has been effective for brooklyn this year so i think someone who deserves mention as being talked about you know kind of a fringe starter type of player on a d's team yeah i i ended up with ronde in this tier as well i i've liked what he's what he's done this year and a guy uh, who deserves credit for focusing on you know what he does well and finally getting to play his natural position which I, i'm really encouraged by the only real differences i have that weren't addressed previously was I don't know why I, I'm still I still believe in Ersan Ilyasova. <laughs> I have him just just because what he's done when he's played I think is kind of in this group. And so you know talk about you know what Larry Markinen could be you know and Lowry will be a much better player than Ersan Ilyasova very very soon. But I think that you know if you have him on your team you're you're okay. You want somebody better, but he's kind of there. And then the guy who was actually yeah, and that's a, that's a reasonable point there to react to what you said about Ilyasova. You know he has been playing now. He's he's really slow now though. Oh yeah, before, but takes a bunch of charges can hit some shots and and yeah i mean if you're like hey you need to win a game tomorrow and you can either have lowry marketing out there or, or ursan Ilyasova, you know I, I might actually want ursan Ilyasova. you know so so that, that's a reasonable argument and then the last guy who i ended up putting in my i called it the not quite tier and i'll talk about there are a yeah. couple guys that i had that in you had in this tier that i have in that one for various reasons was nemanja bielitsa like i really like bielitsa but he needs to we need to see it more from him like another yeah. like and there are going to be a lot of guys in that not quite tier for me actually do you want me to just go into that right now well well so was there anyone that i had uh it sounds like marketing is one but anyone else that i had in that kind of tier six you know just below the level of you know solid starter type of player that you disagreed with that you felt like that's too high for them yeah uh, a couple so dario Saric for me it, again it's the idea of what he what he kind of provides on on a good team i think of him more as a, as a like a really good second unit guy and so i had him down there yeah. i actually had larry Markinen in in that tier even though i said the thing about yosef i think that the decision between those two guys is close and also with charich it's the idea of kind of surplus value versus negative like if he's shooting the way that he that he did early in this year then, then yes absolutely he is in this tier but for me what he's good at you you still want a, a primary ball handler. he's more of a support player and all that kind of way so i'm still relying a little bit on my prior interpretations with him and and he he's done a, a nice job this year but i just want to see him prove it a little bit more which is why he's in the not quite and then it's the same thing with Bobby Portis like Portis having a really nice year I just want to see a little bit more of it from him and so like one thing one thing just kind of spitballing here we didn't talk about this ahead of time would be I wouldn't want to redo this in June or July or May or whenever but one thing that would potentially be worth doing is just saying who has moved tiers and not ranking anybody not doing anything else but like because a lot of this will be guys guys will prove it you know and and so to kind of get into the next part of it a lot of these guys I I so my kind of the not quite the tier six because I drew I drew a kind of a different line than you did Sharich Larry Nance John Collins John Isaac like a lot of these guys Bobby Portis Mike Scott who has had a wonderful year but he was he was abysmal last year you know he he got cut by the Suns and then nobody picked him up like so I just want to see more of it from from those type of guys and so and I I had I was surprised originally I thought Trey Lyles was going to be in this but then when I really thought about it I'm like well he's shown
shown something offensively that is in line with what we saw before. It's just been a better version of it. And he's younger, so it makes more sense than with a guy like Mike Scott. So so that was kind of there. And then the second flavor of not quite was guys that aren't, it's not necessarily proving it. It's more just like, I didn't feel comfortable having them in that group. And so I'll rattle, rattle through those quickly. Kyle Anderson, Lance Thomas, Jonas Jerebko, who is having a nice year, but this, I, again, yeah, I, I, I like Jerebko, I think, better than you. This, so that, that would be another guy that, I mean, he's been, he's been pretty solid. Like, oh, he's been good this year. But la- yeah. like, I, I, the, when he, he didn't inspire as much in me when he was in Boston. Then the last two guys for me, John Lure and Mirza Toledovic, guys that I like, but just through injuries and through other things it's just like I didn't feel comfortable like I, if I if, if you threw them in the starting lineup I, I wouldn't feel happy about it so then to me that makes yes. them the line between five and a half and six uh, a few other guys that are just uh, are interesting to touch on here you know Nance is one where I think just his complete inability to shoot from the power forward position is just a, it's a he's a massive negative uh, on offense uh, although I think he can provide something defensively uh, you know John Collins just a guy I expect to be much higher on this list uh, pretty soon um and then so just some kind of disappointments that they're not higher by this point you know Juancho Hernan Gomez is certainly one of those guys you know he I think it'll remain to be seen how much of it is just lack of improvement I mean Trey Lyles is playing really well also you know he's gonna be tough to supplant but also just for Juancho the illness you know how much he, he missed another game with an illness not sure if that's related to the mono that he had uh, earlier in the season and then uh the power forwards of disappointment in Phoenix uh Chris and Bender you know still we're not even talking about them as even being like close to competent power forward as much as we weren't talking about them as being anywhere close to our top prospect list and along kind of the disappointment line in that way it'd be nice i'm of course an ardent supporter of scal but he hasn't earned a place higher on this list at this point yeah and and he's a guy who you know i think just has to be a power forward because he's just too skinny to be a center at this point you know but really is has the skills of a center yeah he he is a tweener in that way i've i've thought for a long time that the best role for him would be playing some four and then being like a a second unit five kind of a change of pace type guy but it would be crazy if that happens because if if that happens at the same time that we're seeing a lot of these more ground and pound centers move in there he really doesn't make sense at the five against those guys so he it'll be a challenge to kind of fit him in and he's going to have to get a lot better I, i think a lot of these guys in this kind of group are and then somebody else we should mention that i had trouble with just because his his highs are so high but they haven't happened as much as joe johnson like i enjoy joe he was huge yeah. in that series against the Clippers last year like they don't win that series without him but sure that's yeah. a small he, he's part not of a starter any longer right you know, I mean he's just he, he's and we put him here at power forward just because you know he can't really defend any position anymore but he's just kind of here at power forward just because you know that's kind of what he plays but you know he's you don't really want him defending anybody and he also just has not had a good year so far this year certainly you know if you wanted to talk about where he was in last year's playoffs he would be a, a lot higher um well Danny you may have to take Serge Ibaka out of your uh your tier four because he got suspended for a game for violating team rules no yes the, the suspension resulted from an altercation between Ibaka and a Raptors staff member after the December 27th game in Oklahoma City per a Raptors release so all right we, we done here yeah I think we are I mean so people who are subscribers to our, our yeah to our Patreon I, I put up the audio version of my piece so you can listen to that on the and I actually talked about that on Sirius XM radio with David Griffin and uh I've got to can't remember the co name I feel bad now um and we so that was fun we talked about that today and we'll be back soon I mean th- it's unusual that we record on a Friday afternoon and part of the reason we did that is because we wanted to get this out and have it ruminate for a little while before the 15 and 60 all right that'll do it for today don't forget about our sponsor draft thank you to them for sponsoring today's program it's not too late to join the highest rated fantasy football app for fantasy basketball that is of course the draft download the app anytime you just search draft in your app store join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on draft.com whatever you want for a limited time only all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit but you have to use the promo code capspace and let them know that you came from us play a real money game for free just use the promo code capspace on your first deposit across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. (laughs) 